This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. What's up, y'all? Welcome on into the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker joined by Ryan Callahan and Patrick Brown here in Lexington, Kentucky, where Tennessee, as per usual, has defeated the Kentucky Wildcats 33-27. The beer barrel went the way that it has gone many times uh, in our lifetime, certainly, and other lifetimes, and I think may go in several other lifetimes moving forward. It was Kentucky putting up a good fight in a fair fight, and it was Tennessee ultimately making the plays to win the game. I thought there's a little bit more offense, I think, than than just about any of us thought there would be in this game. Missed opportunities on both sides. Nice plays by both sides. Uh, Kentucky doing almost all of its damage through the air, which no one expected. Uh, Tennessee running all over Kentucky, which was a mild surprise. Uh, Joe Milton making some nice plays. Uh, It was not a complete performance. I would say it was not a great performance. It was a winning performance for a program that that needed some good vibes after last week's second half at Alabama. Yeah, Wes, I I think it's a win that Tennessee really needed because, again, as we talked about earlier in the week, no matter how your season is going at Tennessee, you can't lose to Kentucky. It's just a game you – that a lot of fans almost always count as a win. And, and as we saw tonight, you know, we kind of know what this game, how this game's going to go. Kentucky's going to play Tennessee close a lot of times, but in the end they're, they're not going to beat Tennessee because they just, you know, what is it? 36 out of 39 now guys dating back to. And 19 of 21 at, but, at uh, the artist formerly known as Commonwealth Stadium. Before I was, I was born. So, um, but you know, Kentucky's, you know, Mark Stoops has made this program competitive in the SEC um, and, and this game has not been easy for Tennessee over the last few trips up here. So um, it, it shouldn't have been a surprise to anyone that this game went down to the wire because that's what happens when Tennessee comes up here. It's like, uh, you, know, the game, you know, South Carolina, that was a close game when Tennessee goes to Columbia. That, seemed, that was a close game for several years, and uh, it wasn't last year. But that, that just proves the point that it's never easy. And winning on the road in this league is, is generally not easy unless you're playing at Vanderbilt. So... Um, Tennessee was able to avoid doing some of the things that got it beat. Uh, they didn't have a, a stretch or a quarter where they just got outscored 20 to nothing, 17 to nothing, 27 to nothing and a half. Um, you know, they, they got out to a fast start and they were able to make enough plays, offense, defense, uh, and on special teams with Charles Campbell to, to get over the line and, uh, and get a win that, that sets them up for, 
you know, in a meaningful November. If you go in at five and three, um, you're you're not in the SEC East race. You're you know you're playing for bowl positioning, and, and now at six and two, are you in the SEC East race? That's probably up to Georgia at this point. But mm, um, you know you're going to need some help to get there. But I mean, Georgia's got to play Missouri and Ole Miss next two weeks, and then you get them at home. So, um, and, and even then, you can play for ten and two, nine and three. Uh, and so Tennessee really needed to get this win, and ultimately did, and that's what matters most, at least in my opinion. Yes, no, uh, this this is a game that if you you just need to win it, you know, beg, borrow, steal, however you do it, you just need to win it. I, I think probably we'll, we'll probably do what we've done before after some games. I think we'll we'll save some of the fair criticism mostly for the second segment because I do think there are important things that happened that were not good and were very troubling trends, perhaps, uh, to look at moving forward. Uh, we will not dismiss those things. They were relevant. And there were things on both sides that were concerning to me. I think probably the the more positive things can go up top. I, I think uh, Dylan Sampson was just absolutely phenomenal in this football game. Uh, he really did have some moments in this game where he looked a little bit like Alvin Kamara with some of that stuff he was doing, that that kind of ping-ponging off of guys, emerging from you know a pile of people and still going forward, being a nightmare to handle both on the ground and through the air. Uh, he, he was magnificent, and he needed to be, because Jalen Wright, uh, who was fantastic in the first half, had a little bit of an injury. We'll see how serious that was or if it's anything to worry about. Um, but he basically, Dylan Sampson, you know, he didn't, I wouldn't say he totally put the team on his back, but he made about three plays almost entirely on his own in, in that game. Uh, the shovel pass that was destined for nothing, and he somehow emerged to, to get almost a first down or did get a first down out of it. Uh, the, there was uh, the 17-yard pass, which was a really nice moment on third and 10 where Milton made a really nice read, a hot route. And uh, Red 37 hot route, and they made that play happen down there at the touchdown run afterward. He was fantastic in this game. Uh, I thought the the defense, we'll talk about that, probably more bad than good there, but they did make a couple plays on fourth down that were nice. Uh, I thought Joe Milton was as sharp in this game as he has been. And I haven't finished my column yet, guys, but there's basically a line here that that, that puts Milton's numbers out there in this game and says – if you're going to nitpick that performance, if you're going to criticize that performance, then your frustration with this player has removed you miles beyond objectivity because he played a good football game. He was good in Tuscaloosa for the most part, and he was very, very good tonight, and Samson helped him out. And Dante Thornton emerged to make some plays, um, but I think Samson and Milton were just fantastic in this game most for the most part. Yeah, I, I agree, and I, I, I think Joe Milton, you know, like you said, it was a – it's a different offense uh, tonight from what we're what we're accustomed to seeing from Tennessee. A little more run heavy. I, I think that might be what this team often needs to be to to win and play its best. Uh, and I think it's telling to me that in a game where they needed to keep scoring because Kentucky was kind of fighting back, and at one point it was sort of just a back and forth, more offensive uh, game. And in that type of game, it, it was still. Let's run the ball on third and five, third and seven. You know they're running the ball on plays that would normally be be passing down, passing downs. I think that's just because of where this offense is right now. But when they did ask Joe Milton to throw, he was very good. Um, and I think when you pick your spots with him, 
And I think some of this is to Joe Milton's credit, too. He made some plays outside the pocket. Which he has not done a lot in his career. Absolutely. And this is, a, you know, I think he's sort of found something the past three weeks since the Texas A&M game. I think that, you know, throwing for 100 yards, it's, you know, running out of bounds before the first down marker on that third down play. A couple things in that game just seemed to be almost a wake-up call for him. That like, hey, this is your final chance. And... A, you're getting to the point where if you keep playing like this, Tennessee's going to have a decision to make, and you don't want to even come to that. And two, you know, or, or B, you, you've got a future to play for, and and you've got you know another half of the season to to respond and and take care of some of the criticisms that you're going to face from NFL teams, and time to go address those. And we've seen more of an aggressiveness from him in the run game, and then tonight to see him keeping his eyes downfield. Rolling to his left, throwing, throwing, you know, uh, to to a, a couple, a couple different receivers in that situation. Uh, finding Dante Thornton, throwing it to receivers where they can make plays after the catch. I don't feel like we saw much of that early in the season. It seems like he's, you know, maybe it just is it's just how the plays have worked out. But it seems like he's doing a better job of getting it to receivers where they can be in a position to cut up field or, or they're on the move and ready to cut up field. And we weren't seeing much of that. It seemed like there were very few opportunities for runs after the catch earlier in the season when the way he was throwing it. So he's, he's, he's just seeing the field maybe a little bit better. And, and yeah, just the fact that they're not, they're not throwing as much maybe is helping with that. The run game's effectiveness is probably helping him in the passing game, but they averaged a season high 10.9 yards per attempt, much, much better. Five games into the season at the open date, we met, uh, I mentioned that I think they were averaging, averaging 7.1 yards per pass attempt. And that was by far the lowest of the Josh Heupel head coaching era uh, at, at both UCF and Tennessee. So to, to have that go the, uh, go the other direction in Tennessee's passing game be so efficient, 18 to 21, that's hard to pick that apart. So uh, that, that's a big deal. And like you said, Dylan Sampson was really good, uh, made some plays where, you know, the 12-yard touchdown run, just what patience to, to kind of see that one through. It looked like there was nothing, and then next thing you know, he just pops out on the other side and is, is gliding into the end zone for a touchdown, and that was a, a big play in the game where Tennessee had been struggling in the red zone. Uh, and they they still I think don't have a very good red zone offense, but that that play was big because they hadn't shown a, an ability to score inside the twenty uh, with any consistency. And then Jalen Wright, I certainly shouldn't get overlooked that he was really really good before whatever happened that that caused him to leave the game. Seemed like he was banged up later on, but of course we, we didn't get any sort of straight answer from Josh Heupel on what his status is. I still think he's got a legitimate stake at times to to feel like he's the best running back in this conference. Yeah, I genuinely believe that. Ray Davis is a very, very good football player. There's some other good backs in this league. Florida's got some. Uh, Mississippi State's got a good back. Like I, there, There's some good backs in this league. I don't know that any of them are just quantifiably better than Jalen Wright. Yeah, and, and, and running backs are always going to be reliant on their offensive lines to help. But I, I, felt like, I felt like the Alabama game, though, he didn't – he didn't maybe just didn't have many opportunities, but it didn't seem like he, he was able to – yeah, Alabama just had some some players that were good enough to keep him from from breaking free much. You know, he, he couldn't find room, he couldn't wiggle free, and just didn't make many plays. Tonight, that fifty two yard touchdown run he made was big time. I mean, that shook a couple tackles and outran some guys and and accelerated past them to to get to the end zone. Average ten point nine yards a carry with the help of that run. So a lot of good things offensively. And this was a game. You know, we've seen Tennessee's playing complimentary football. We say it all the time. We hear it all the time from coaches. They, they needed the defense to carry them against Texas A&M. Tonight they needed the offense to carry them a lot of times with the defense not playing as well. And they were able to do that even without, you know, with some guys out, with some guys banged up. They still found ways to make plays, and Joe Milton's playing at a much higher level than he was a few weeks ago. 
Pat, before we talk about the, the good things with the defense, because it was more bad than good tonight, I, we haven't heard much from you on the offense yet. What, what, what were your thoughts? The good, the, you know, we can save some of the criticism for later because I think some of it needs to be talked about. But I, I liked what I saw from the offense aside from the red zone. Yeah, I mean, Tissy ran for, what, 254 yards? Um, Jaylen had 120. Sampson, I mean, he was awesome in the fourth quarter. Uh, heroics, you could even put it as. I, I think he had 15 touches on Tennessee's 23 plays and had 90 yards from scrimmage and a touchdown. And the shovel pass looked like he was done. He sprints out of it and gets a, yeah, a Might a need play. to remove that play from the playbook, but but he made something yeah, out of it. Yeah, you and Ben seem to hate it, but early in the season it was it worked last it was year. popping it, it off. A little for, bit this season. I mean, it, it, yeah, it worked early teams, on. Teams have caught on to it. Well, it's a tough play to execute, honestly, because your offensive linemen have to get the guy get the defensive line kind of like um they have to get those guys kind of fanned out a little bit to mm-hmm. open up a seam. Um, but it, I mean, early in the season, he was popping it off for 20 and 30 and 40 yard gains. So, um, and, and plus it's a, it's a unique way to get the ball to one of your best playmakers. So, mm-hmm. um, that play he spun out of the, uh, on the final drive, that second down play where he got the ball and they had like a five yard run, if I'm remembering correctly. And then, uh, they, they actually went with some tempo, which was interesting. I think I made a comment to us at that time, like it, that would be a, that would be a clock running situation where you're trying to drain the play clock down, but it's just hard for Tennessee to get out of character like that. It, it, it caught Kentucky <clears> a little <throat> bit off foot there, and I like the call because it was just a simple get the ball out. Yeah, I mean it's an, an extension. It. It's an extension of your run game, and so in an, even then somebody missed a block out wide, and you're thinking this play's going for no gain, and he somehow makes you know has great balance and is able to spin off of it, and um, he's just a really special player, and he's just a sophomore. Listen to him, him talk during the week and talk after the game. I mean, this guy's really mature. He's a leader on the team. He's got a voice. His teammates respect him, and you know they they kind of they see what he does, and they they see what he does during the week, and then they see what he do, does on Saturday, and they're not really surprised. And um, yeah, he he was great. I mean, the the passing game is uh, you saw signs of life. They they hit the um, you know Chaz Nimrod made a big play. That was a great, you know, Tennessee just hasn't got enough of those where the guy wins off the line and he makes won. it makes a defensive back fall down because he's beat so badly. And then that was a good throw by Milton. He had a guy kind of coming in his face, um, you know, pressuring him, getting his hands up in there uh, it, it, as he threw. And, he, you know, those are the layup throws that you got to make as a quarterback. And he, uh, he, he made that play, and then Rod made the catch. And, Thornton showed up a little bit, um, and uh, again, I I think they got another good Joe kind of game from Milton, and that's what they need. I mean, we're we're eight games into this season. This offense is not last season's offense, but um, when they're able to run the football and Milton is able to make some plays throwing it, and these receivers are able to help him on the other end of it, um, this offense can do enough with the defense the way it is. Uh, there are some things I think Milton can do better. There, are, there always are. Um, you know, when you only miss three passes, it's really hard to get too nitpicky. But took a couple sacks where he had guys open. I think. I don't blame him for that late one because I don't, um, I don't think the open guy on the right side. I think he was like a third or fourth well, option on the plate, and he didn't the, have time to get over there. The, the two I'm remembering off the top of my head. There's one in the red zone. He has he has Warren coming open coming open on a slant. Agreed. And it looks like it's open initially, um, but again, he was looking the other way. And by the time he was able to come back to his right, it was covered. Uh, you know, they had a safety in the middle of the field. So 
you know, but again, by the time he got there, he was starting to feel the pressure. The other one, there was another play where he had somebody coming open on a slant or a dig to his right, and he was looking left. Um, that's just going to happen. Sometimes I think he does have to uh, come off his progressions a little, go through them a little quicker. Um, but there are other times where he does a good job going through them. So, uh, again, I, I think you're going to take what you got from him tonight every game, and he made some good good plays with his feet too. So, uh, and the offensive line, you know, they they had to gut it out. You know, John Campbell got hurt. Jeremiah Crawford came back in. Andre Carr got in early and then got hurt. I think he was – he might have been on crutches after the game. Um, yeah, he, he's, he's, he's sore. He, he's hurting. Whatever so it is, he's hurting. maybe in a boot. So, um, you know, we're, we're kind of seeing guys come out of the locker room after the game. But, uh, I mean, this offense, again, finishing drives is, is a challenge. Uh, they had two drives that were kind of messed up by – Offensive line penalties was holding on Campbell after the fourth down stop early in the game. They had a false start and, and an illegal snap on Cooper Mays on another drive in the first half that led to a field goal. And they got a drive at, they got a field goal at the end of the half. That was a, a time thing more than uh, the offense not finishing there. That that drive was actually really good if you have if you you know consider the circumstances. But um, you know they had they had another red zone drive after Thornton got a big catch and they had a. Sort of a weird sequence. They ran the ball. They, they ran an option, then they ran a quarterback draw or power that didn't go anywhere, and uh, they ended up, I think, taking a sack and kicking a field goal. Again, the red zone is a struggle. Short yardage was a struggle. They're I think they got stuff. I'll give them credit. For I that. think it's they got working, stopped third and one early in the, in the third quarter. So this offense is it's not it's not clicking on all cylinders compared to last season. But and maybe that's this offense's biggest flaw is that it's following up that group, but. Um, they were able to score 33 points. I think they had almost 500 yards of offense tonight, seven yards of play. That's that's pretty good against a defense that, um, you know, Kentucky is pretty good defensively except for when they play Tennessee. So uh, Stoops and, and Brad White have yet to figure that out. Um, and this was, again, I, I think we ran this stat on maybe Thursday that, that Kentucky under under its current defensive coordinator going back to 2019 had only nine games of, of a team scoring more than 30 and Tennessee has two of them. Well, now it's 10 games and Tennessee has three of them. So, you know, you held them under 40 this year, but they still got 33 and they still beat you. Yeah, and before we go to break, a couple things. Uh, the special teams, uh, kudos uh, to those guys. Uh, Charles Campbell, four for four on field goals, including a 49-yarder. And, again, if you, I, I think you could see it a little bit on TV. It was hard to see in that stadium tonight. Uh, there, it was already a little foggy or misty to begin with, and then – Kentucky, Tennessee has pyro Jesus. Kentucky's got the entire pyro Trinity. I think uh, they, they they were they loved them some fireworks there, and they also used those smoke machines in the tunnels, and all that stuff was happening. And every time it happened, you just could not see anything for a lot of that game. Uh, we had a hard time seeing some stuff down there. So I imagine uh, it's just it, it's not the easiest conditions to kick in. And uh, he was four for four, including the forty nine yarder. Uh, Turbyville uh, neutralized a really good. Uh, return guy in Barry and Brown didn't let him do anything. Uh, he did have the one late in the very last play of the first half that could have been a disaster. Uh, he really missed it that one, but it worked out all right. Other than that, boomed it right through the end zone. The punt game didn't allow any return yards. Solid night there. Not great, but but solid enough. And um, and I think the defense, before we go in on the second half, uh, second segment, and talk about that pass defense, which all of a sudden looks very, very different and very not good. Uh, I think we can say Kentucky has one of the best running backs in college football, a good, solid offensive line, and, and Tennessee just completely shut down that run game. Kentucky had 72 yards on 24 carries. 
Davis had 42 yards on 16 carries. Uh, his long run was the touchdown run of eight yards, which had a very blatant hold, which was not called. Uh, we'll talk more about that later. But um, they didn't do anything on the ground. And I think that was the plan was we're going to make you beat us with the pass. They almost did beat them with the pass. But I think the plan was at least structurally made some sense, and they did their job against the run game. Yeah, no, no question. A lot, lot of positives there. Back, back to Charles Campbell, who I would expect to have a good chance of winning SEC Special Teams Player of the Week. You know, you make four field goals in a game that's decided by six points. Uh, that, that that gives you a pretty strong case. Um, he's 15 of 17 on field goals this year. Uh, I think I heard Bob Kessling point out uh, on his post game with uh, Josh Heupel that he's made all uh, that the, he's made a hundred all 100 of his extra points. Um, in his career, I guess. Uh, so, so really good on that. But 15 of 17 on field goals, and his only two misses are from 50 plus. So he's hit everything inside 50 yards that he's tried this year. Hard to beat that. Um, so he's been really good. Uh, got doinked, a little, doinked one in, but hey, there's they uh, don't take any points off for that. It's uh, not a two pointer. I was gonna say got got a little help from the upright on the 35 yarder. Uh, not not a not his prettiest kick, but you know. Uh, they all count if they go through. So uh, all, all that matters in that is a very, very black and white uh, game kicking. It is they all about they, the end result. They don't ask how. They ask how many. Yep. No. No. Uh, don't get style points for those. So it doesn't doesn't matter. And he took care of business. So uh, yeah, on, on a night where the kicking game definitely mattered, he he was really good. And that's uh, you know that, a really nice addition there out of the transfer portal when you look back on it to get an experienced guy like that out of the Big Ten. I thought that would show up at times to have an experienced guy like that, and he's been a, a very steady hand. Um, aside from Josh Heupel's unwillingness to use him at one point in the Texas A&M game when there were tough conditions, um, he's been very reliable and a guy that Tennessee has uh, obviously been able to lean on. In the past uh, five games, he's had, he's had um, multiple field goal attempts and has hit a uh, all but all but two of those, so very good, uh, and and was really sharp in this game. And then and like you said, the run defense a huge part of this game. I think Tennessee obviously was going to put a ton of effort into stopping the run in this game. You kind of have to going into any matchup with Kentucky. You know they want to run the ball. And and Ray Davis, you know he's he's getting all America mentions at midseason and stuff like that. You know he, he's he's got that Florida game under his belt that. Um, is is clearly the an all timer. <laughs> yeah, I mean the, the the highlight of his season, and will be hard to top the rest of the way. But uh, for for them to come out and hold him to forty two yards on what sixteen carries, that's um, pr- pretty impressive, and uh, kind of you know force tennis or force Kentucky to go to the passing game. I think to get something going, and uh, I mean let's be clear before tonight, Kentucky's offense really hadn't looked good enough in the passing game for you to worry. Uh, about that side of the ball quite as much. I mean, you always know that any SEC team can beat you that way, but the the thought going into the game had to be, if you slow down Ray Davis, you're probably going to win this game. And Tennessee absolutely did that and carried carried through that that game plan. 24 rushes for 72 yards, so three yards of carry as a team for Kentucky. That that in and of itself uh, was was you know kind of winning the game. Really, that, that that was such a big deal. If if Kentucky gets to run the offense the way they want to probably gonna be tough to beat so um give them a lot of credit for that and yeah plenty of plenty else to plenty of other things to pick apart but it's hard to have any uh any gripes about the way Tennessee defense played uh in stopping the run and and, and keeping them in some unfavorable down and distance situations at times yeah plenty of things to discuss with the uh the past defense though and some other things and uh we're gonna have to discuss that guys it's not uh maybe gonna be the most pleasant discussion to have but uh 
it uh, it needs to be had uh, because Tennessee um, w- without Kamal Haddon, it, it was much, much different. So uh, we'll take a quick break. Uh, we'll come back here. We'll discuss some of that stuff and then get you out of here. But uh, before we come back to that second segment, let's step away, pay some bills, listen to products, services, in-house ads, etc., and then come right back here on the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Hashtag ad. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Go Balls 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products, services, and in-house ads you just heard a moment ago during that commercial break. Wes Rucker, Patrick Brown, and Ryan Callahan coming to you from our uh, hotel in Lexington, Kentucky, where uh, this uh, is a battle for the beer barrel, but this uh, hotel does not have beer. So uh, I'm going to have to n- knock that off on the, uh, I guess the CBS credit card wins a little bit, but uh it's a little bit of a bummer for the postgame podcast, so uh, we, we will we will we will soldier on. We will be all right. Uh, Tennessee picking up the win, thirty three twenty seven over Kentucky, as it has done thirty six times in the past thirty nine years, and as it has done uh, nineteen times in its past twenty one trips to Commonwealth Stadium, which is always Commonwealth Stadium. To me, got lots more to discuss, and we'll do that. Before we do that, though, just a quick request from our end: if you could go in there and uh, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. We really would appreciate that. If you're just listening on the website right there, GoVols247.com, nothing wrong with that. No wrong way to consume this podcast. Helps us out a lot more, though, if you go in there on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, Amazon, anywhere in the world you can cast the fine pod. You can find this GoVols247 podcast. Do this for free. Happy to do it. No complaints. But since you're doing it for free, I don't think it's too much to ask to go rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. Tell everybody that you know. If you're already doing that stuff, thank you. We love you. If not, I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Okay, pass defense. Let's discuss this. Tennessee does win this game. At the end of the day, you just win the game. You're playing a rival. You're playing uh, in, in a hostile venue. You just want to wanna go out in there and win, and Tennessee did that. So job accomplished there. However, uh, Tennessee's first game without uh, senior cornerback Kamal Haddon, not great. Uh, for pass defense. Kentucky entering this game, I believe, was 105th nationally out of 130 teams in passing yardage. Uh, Now, Kentucky does have the components to be a decent passing game. I think those of us around the league have said this all season. You know, Devin Leary was a nice player at NC State. Uh, Three of those, those Kentucky starting receivers, all three players, good football players. A couple of tight ends, good football players. Offensive line, much better than it was last season. 
but you are what your numbers say you are, and Kentucky's passing game was bad until tonight. In this game, Kentucky completes 28 of 39 passes for 372 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, and Tennessee's pass rush was not Tennessee's normal pass rush. And uh, Tennessee, whether it was man, whether it was zone, whether it was sit back, whether it was go try to get them, it did not work. No matter who the combinations were, did not work. Uh, Tennessee opened the game with uh, a couple of seniors there starting. It, it was Danico Slaughter and Gabe Judy Lally. Those guys struggling, so they bring in a, a new line change of seniors with Brandon Turnage and Warren Burrell. Things get even worse. So then they try to put uh, freshman Ricky Gibson the third in there with Gabe Judy Lally. And what happens? Two or three plays into there, he gets hurt. Ricky Gibson gets, gets his bell rung, as Jeremy Pruitt might say, goes to the sideline. They go back to Slaughter. And they kept trying things, so props to them for that. But, Pat, none of it worked. Well, I know everyone's going to be trash in the secondary, but uh, I, I think this game shows what we've seen a little bit from the Florida and Alabama games, and that is if you can block Tennessee up front, you can make plays on their secondary. Uh, and that's not to say the secondary has just been skating by all season. I think they've played good football a lot. But when Tennessee was getting no pressure on on Devin Leary for most of the game, and I know that had to be part of the game plan coming in because – uh, his pressure, his 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 numbers throwing under pressure. The last three games were really really bad, like two of seventeen for like thirty something yards, and a couple picks that came against Missouri. So, and we talked about it on on the Thursday podcast that you got to get pressure on him, right? That was the the two two big bullet points of the game plan was stop Ray Davis and get pressure on Devin Leary. They did the first thing. They didn't really do the second thing, um, particularly early, and and it got Leary into a rhythm early on. I think he was thirteen of seventeen in the first half. Um, Tennessee was playing a lot of zone coverage and, and Kentucky was finding the gaps and, and the timing and the rhythm of the passing game was on and got going. And, uh, again, we, you know, I, I don't think Tennessee underestimated Leary. I think, uh, I think the staff and, and Heupel said this a couple of times that, uh, that he's a good quarterback and, and, you know, it's his first year in an offense and, and all these things that, that had not clicked. And, uh, there's a lot of teams in this league that would take Dane Key and Barry and Brown. Um, and, and those guys made some plays. I mean, Brown made a great catch over Danico Slaughter in the first half, and then Leary made a great throw on the wheel route to Brown for a touchdown. I mean, Tamarian McDonald is not in bad position. Uh, he's just maybe a, a half step behind, and it's just a great throw and a great catch. Sometimes that happens when you play pass defense. But, and when you let him get hot. Well, yeah, and, and, and there's no pressure on him. When, he, you know, when they got him under pressure, again, I think his pressure numbers are going to be pretty bad. but. They just didn't get enough pressure, and when you don't get enough pressure, that, that puts more stress on the secondary, and, and we saw that guys can get open on the secondary and make plays. Tennessee was playing a lot of soft coverage to keep things in front of them, and um, you know that, that's, that's what you get. But, um, yeah, the cornerback situation, they, they, I think Gabe Julia Alley's playing good football. they got to get Danico Slaughter, I think, back going again. I think he's, he's the best of that bunch. Um, he's a guy that we've seen play good football, but um, just – from what's happened this season with him getting hurt early, I don't know where his confidence is, and that's a position where you need to have some confidence. Behind those two, I I, I think they. Uh, it, it's tough to say that that you know that they need to keep going with those veterans because Turnage got in there, had a pass thrown over his head, got a holding penalty. I'm not sure he played again. Burrell got in there, and and I think he he ended up coming back after that one drive where they were both on the field and gave up a touchdown. But, um, you know, it's it's. Uh, you know they, they got to figure some things out, and and that's where Haddon losing Haddon hurts, and and I would imagine they 
have a chance against UConn next week to maybe play Ricky Gibson and, and maybe see if any of those other young guys are, are going to be factors. Um, there were a couple uh, there were a couple young guys in corners that didn't that didn't make the travel roster. I'm thinking of like Christian Harrison and, and Deshaun Rucker. I don't think I don't think they made the travel roster. Now all three freshmen were because Conyer and Jordan Matthews and some of those guys are playing on special teams. But you know, already those guys I haven't really played a whole lot on defense. But you know, and we'll see what happened with Gibson. It looks like he he lowered his head trying to make a tackle and was woozy coming off the field. So that could be a tricky situation. And and obviously they're they're going to be cautious with that as we saw with Omar Norman Lot early in the season. But yeah, I, I think the big takeaway is when Tennessee's not getting after the quarterback that you can throw the ball on him. And, and you know, Tennessee's defensive line still made some plays. They got a sack on one drive in the second half. I think James Pierce batted down a screen pass that had some, and that maybe had a chance. And uh, they got enough pressure at enough times to get the job done. But when they're not dominant up front defensively, like we've seen against South Carolina, like we've seen against Texas A&M, and uh, you can make plays down the field. And we saw a little bit of a little bit against Alabama too, right? So. Uh, this defensive line, they, the defense kind of goes as they go, and they need those guys to be dominant against Missouri and, and hold their own against Georgia for Tennessee's defense to keep playing as well as it has most of the season. Yeah, Ryan, I, I think if, if Tennessee's combination of pass rush and pass coverage continues to be what it's been for the past six quarters, I don't think Tennessee's winning at Missouri, and I damn sure know Tennessee's not beating Georgia. Uh, it's just gotta, It's got to get better. It's just got to get better. Yeah, I, no, no question that uh, Tennessee's pass rush, for whatever reason, is, has not been quite as good. I, I think Josh Heupel has a has a theory, judged by his yeah. his his answer to uh, a question about why they weren't able to get more pressure on Devin Leary. He gave his silent "I hate the refs, it's their fault" question. Maybe not hate. Hate's a strong he, word. He clearly thinks I'm they're mad getting at held. the refs, I right? Just like yeah. your performance. He, he clearly thinks they're getting held. Um, Zero live ball penalties for Tennessee opponents in the past two games. Yeah. That's unconscionable. That is not reality. That, that is not like that. That's, I mean, if Tennessee's not sending this video with like a very, very angry phone call and, or letters, whatever the, the process is, you cannot have back to back games. Where your opponent was there? Was there not a live ball penalty nope, tonight? Kentucky either? was flagged four times. All four of them were procedure penalties. Um, their procedure offsides, those sorts of things. None of them were live ball penalties. And we saw there were times we saw on the touchdown play, gigantic hold not called again. Yep. Three or four big holds on the perimeter not called on big plays. Warren Burrell and, thought he was not. I thought he was held and, and certainly looked like a hold on that, on that touchdown run. Where he yeah. I mean, the, the shoulder pad was, I mean, it, yeah. it, it was in Tennessee's entire sideline saw it at the exact same time, basically, and erupted like, well, there it is. You're not going to call that. And, and Heupel has every right to be legitimately angry about that. That cannot happen. Like that's one of those things for two weeks in a row that it, it, it's some, I don't, uh, there's no conspiracy there. It's just, I think, guys being bad at their jobs. And this league has so much money, and if it can't do better than this, what the hell is happening? How is that possible? Yeah. Uh, but but regardless, the pass rush got to be better. Pass coverage got to be better. It, it, it does. And, I, well, what, this, what the past two weeks shows you is, is yeah, again, how, how reliant Tennessee's pass rush or pass defense, and I think any pass defense, is on having a good pass rush. I think last year – Probably what we saw from Tennessee's secondary that that those cornerbacks and safeties got so much grief for was Tennessee's inability to get a four man 
pass rush that was effective consistently. You know, Byron Young had pretty solid numbers, but they just weren't good with a four-man rush last year. This year, they're Barron much better. Barron wasn't playing at the level he's no. played at for a lot of this year. They had to blitz way too often to, to get pressure, and that made the, the secondary vulnerable too. So they're just a much better four-man pass rush this year, and this shows you the past two weeks now have shown you what can happen when that's taken away. So it shows you that, yeah, that secondary was has been playing better, but it's also not completely fixed because the pass rush was obviously key to that. And, and Willie Martinez, when I asked him a, a week or two ago about that, kind of alluded to that, that it's it was more about the defense and how they were playing as a whole as opposed to the secondary having turned it around significantly with the, the, the progress they'd made in, in pass defense numbers. So they, they've got to give those guys some help back there. Not, not many secondaries can cover for six seconds and <laughs> for five seconds and keep guys from getting open. It's just hard. Uh, so you've got to give those guys some help, make it where they only have to cover for three or four seconds, and then they've got a much better chance of being able to make a play and being in position to, to you know, knock balls away, intercept passes. You've you got you to give those guys some assistance. And, and, yeah, if they're getting held all the time, and that's you know, clearly the implication of what, Josh Heupel was saying um, by saying nothing in his post-game press conference when he was specifically Didn't asked. Didn't even give a token answer about, you know, it's hard to call that. Yeah. We'll see. It was... And it, he told you a lot without saying anything. And this wasn't a vague question about just officiating being one-sided and Mortal Kombat and all that stuff again this week. This was just... This was a question about um, about specifically why Tennessee was not able to get to Devin Leary and he sat there in silence. So I think that tells you specifically he was... Not happy about the lack of holding calls and whatever else Kentucky might have been doing to disrupt things that the officials chose to ignore in this game. So, uh, yeah, well, they'll they'll certainly hope for a friendlier whistle in the coming weeks, and they'll they'll need it at Missouri, um, where where getting to the quarterback will be paramount, I think, in, in that game. But they really uh, have to get the pass rush back on track one way or another, and and tonight kind of showed you why they've they've got. Um, you know, the secondary is taking a hit without Kamal Haddon. That's, uh, I don't think that's a huge part of what happened tonight, but it certainly contributed to it. didn't help at all. They'd be better with him than without him. Yeah, and, and he, was, he was the guy that's most likely to make a play back there, as he showed uh, in the first six or seven games of the season. So you, you need him and, and not having him as a blow. But, uh, but, yeah, tonight was all about, I think, the pass rush just not, not being as much of a factor. And, yeah, they've, got a, they've certainly got to hope for – for friendlier whistles in the coming weeks, but they also have to figure out ways around that and, and to not get affected by it. You know, sometimes players might get frustrated, get their heads down when, when that kind of thing happens. You've got to respond well and and just keep coming and hope that eventually either they're good, they're going to call you or, or call the opposing team for it, or they're or you're going to get through either way. And uh, and yeah, you got to find ways to get pressure one way or the other. Yeah, at the end of the day, I think there's two separate conversations. At the end of the day, winners make plays and losers make excuses and that's one part of it the other part of it is you can't have back-to-back games where your opponent has zero live ball penalties in this league as physical and fast as it is that ain't possible like there's they gotta you know you would like to think that they'll have something coming their way at some point as a result because these things often level themselves well, in the long run, but that's bad. Well, they they I thought they caught a break right before half on that Ramel Keaton play. I, I don't know that, that that football was moving a lot in his hands. Um, and but they also got to play off before that thing was buzzed in. I don't care what the yeah, that, says. I would agree with that. But I mean, I don't know how they looked at that and determined that was a catch. But you know, it was a great throw, and and Keaton did a good job snagging it out of bounds. I don't know if his foot was in bounds. I don't think that part was conclusive. 
my question if I'm looking at that play is is how does he have control of the ball when it's kind of moving between his hands? How is that deemed control? But um, you know, we all think we can do a better job than all these guys. <laughs> but um I would like to see them prove that they can't do better than what they prove. I mean we I would n- like to see nobody them prove knows that. what the what the heck holding or, or pass interference is anymore, but a, a jersey pulled several feet like several um, inches away from the shoulder pads is absolutely but yeah, I mean you're gonna have to play through some of that stuff on, on the road. Um and, and again you, you would like a fair whistle and uh, you would like the game to be called evenly, of course, but you know it, it's human error and all that stuff. And you know we don't need to spend too much time on on the officiating because it. Josh Heupel clearly feels a certain way about well, it. He does, um, and he even made a comment about like he thought they were going to have more time left uh, before the end. I said the first nine half. seconds. That's what everybody. I said that's nine seconds, um, not seven seconds. I, I didn't catch it as well, so I'll have to defer to you guys. I think with nine seconds left, he's throwing the ball to the end zone. Yes, um, and I think with. Seven seconds left. I think he made the right call. With this offense, I think he made. Yeah, the right call. and um, it would have been interesting to see how they would have managed the last handful of seconds there before, um, you know, before the injury that created the ten-second runoff that finished the game. Because I, I, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at the clock to see how much time was left. But um, would they have kicked the field goal there, which might have been the the prudent play? But there's some risk there um, if they had maybe. Five or six seconds, you could probably have Joe Milton throw one, you know, literally into the stands, you know, drop back. Yeah, give it a shot. Uh, I think the Broncos might have done that. Uh, an NFL team did that where they had a few seconds left in a situation like that, and they just had a guy throw it 40 yards downfield and ran out the clock because the ball was in the air for so long. So that's probably something they could have done. But we'll never know because Kentucky uh, had an injury and um, that created the 10 second runoff that ended the game. So. Um, you know, Tennessee was responsible for helping the 10 second runoff become part of college football. And 12 years later, here we are, them clinching a game on a 10 second runoff rule. So and, and I it do, all comes I, around I, and goes around, right? I, I feel for that Kentucky player because obviously he felt injured enough that he couldn't, he couldn't get off the field. And that's, Hey, I mean, we're sitting there, you know, watching it and, you know, we're not sweating and we're not doing all that stuff. So I, I imagine, I mean, I, I just, I, I feel for him in that situation. Um, but at the end of the day, what you have to do on the road is you have to overcome adversity. You have to do those things in this league. You make a beautiful game plan in football. You spend a week putting together, here's offense, defense, special teams. Here's all these contingency plans. Here's all these plays that that we like against this matchup or that matchup. And then the ball's kicked off, and it's chaos. For three-plus hours, it's chaos. Things go against you. Things slide. You got to react. You have to grow up. You have to overcome, shake things off, and make plays and win the game. And Tennessee's defense, even the defense that tonight was objectively bad for, for a lot of that game, made some plays in the red zone to keep the the cats out of the end zone. Big moments there. Also got a couple of stops on fourth down to st- create turnovers on downs. Big plays there. They were not good, um, but they were selectively good. Like, they made plays when they had to to win the game. Whatever they had to do plus one to win, they did that. They, they did. And, and yeah, there, there were obviously plenty of things Tennessee did, did well to, to win this game on, on both sides of the ball because they, they didn't just win it with offense, certainly. Um, and and I, I do want to circle back to that because I think that's one of the things that 
is a is a recurring theme with this team. The the red zone offense is is a is a concern, is a serious concern. And and while Joe Milton is playing better and and, sh- and playing more aggressively and running the ball more, and Dylan Sampson made a great play and in, inside the fifteen to, to score. Uh, the bottom line is for most of this game they couldn't they couldn't score in the red zone. That's there's a reason they kicked four field goals. Um, they had they had some long touchdowns that that accounted for their only offensive touchdowns for a while, and then and then they were kicking field goals. So that that's something if they get into a similar game with Missouri, that that might get them beat. You know, they, if Missouri puts up thirty they plus play points tomorrow in in Columbia, I'm picking a loss for Tennessee. I just don't think. I mean, I mean, I, yeah. I, you know, I I just would just to be candid, I would. It's it's absolutely a game Tennessee can win, but they yeah for I mean, sure. I mean, but Missouri is a team capable of scoring thirty plus points, throwing the ball well, and if they get into that type of game. They they probably have a little more explosiveness than Kentucky's offense typically does, and and they're they're going to be able to to to, to score touchdowns, and, and Tennessee's going to need to be able to answer that with touchdowns. You can't win a game like that with field goals all the time. So, you know, for for them to get away with this this game where you know four four field goals and three touchdowns out of a out of a performance where you mostly move the ball uh, pretty consistently throughout the game. You know that's that's not going to get it done. Um, you're certainly not going to upset Georgia playing that way. So they they've they've got to figure out some sort of answers there. I think a lot of it is just this team. You know that they're, they're just we, you talk, are what you are at this point in the season. Yeah, I mean we, we've talked before. They've got they've just got less margin for error. Everything tightens up down there in the red zone, obviously. And this team doesn't have big receivers like Cedric Tillman that can go up and get it. You don't have um, just just dynamic playmakers everywhere, but. With the with the quarterback who's got a little more mobility now in Joe Milton, with good running backs, with tight ends that have shown they can be weapons in the past in the red zone, they've got options there. You would think that there are, there are some solutions to this, but they've got to get something figured out there because they've just not been good enough. And it certainly wasn't just tonight. You know, it's been kind of a recurring theme with this team. I think a, a takeaway for me from this game is the intangible side of it, and that is winning on the road because I think you look at last year's team, they didn't play great on in that game against Pitt, and they found a way to win. And I think that was sort of a, a springboard, maybe a catalyst, uh, that they could you know, go on and, and do big things. And, and maybe you know, that's the hope for this team, is that you know, now they've gone out and kind of had to you know, get the job done with, I don't want to say their backs were against the wall, but a situation where you know, they needed to win this game to keep the season on track for uh, an outcome that will, that, that will be what they want and what a lot of people want. Um, and whether or not they win the eight, you know, we'll see where, where it ends up. But, you know, going to the final month of the season, I think getting this one could, could be a, you know, a chance for maybe, you know, maybe it gets Tennessee and you know, maybe it's a little bit of a springboard for them going in these last few games. Maybe they go to Missouri, um, you know, with some more confidence that they can win on the road. Cause they just did. They made uh, the timely plays and, and Josh Heupel was really complimentary of, the team's sort of uh, grit, and I hate using the word resilience, but you know that that had been missing early on, and or that had been missing, I think, in the two losses they had on the road, where they weren't able to handle adversity very well. They handled adversity better in this game, and were able to kind of respond when you know you know this is a, a boxing match, and there's punches thrown, and sometimes the other team's going to make plays because they have good players, and sometimes you're going to make a call that doesn't work right. Uh, or you're gonna have a play that's not executed. It's it's not a perfect game, as as Josh Heupel says a lot. But this team had, you know, the ability not only tonight, but really throughout the week to bounce back from that Alabama game, which obviously didn't sit well. But it, they didn't let it linger. They came out. They started fast. Uh, they responded when Kentucky made runs and made plays. And 
ultimately they were to get a win and 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 kind of get back on on the right track and and who knows maybe this maybe this is something that they can build off of moving forward so um you know you would have loved to have maybe gotten this win uh, a win of this style maybe at Florida and who knows how maybe that changes your season but uh there's still a lot for Tennessee to play for um in, in the final four games and, and certainly this can this can be maybe a a, a catalyst or a boost that gets them going uh, in the right direction and, and they can finish in a way that'll have a lot of people happy, satisfied, whatever you want to call it. Um, at once we get to the, the full 12 game referendum or, or out, uh, outlook on, on what the season was and what, how it went. I'm glad you brought that up, Patrick, cause I, that, that is a narrative that obviously has been out there and we've been eager to see how, you know, losses at Florida and at Alabama would translate into this back half of the schedule where the road games are. Hey, this is home away from home, man. Where, where, where road games are not as tough, frankly. And, and, and yeah, Kentucky, Missouri, these are more winnable road games against teams that, you know, certainly Alabama better than these two teams, I think. And, and, and we, I mean, we, we peppered these players and, yep. and Hypo all during the week about bouncing back, about winning on the road, haven't done it, yada, yada, yada. And they were able to, to respond, not to us, but just in general. Yeah, yeah. And so, so I, I think this, it doesn't maybe take away those concerns. You're still going to have those concerns even at Missouri probably in, in, in a couple of weeks. But it, it does, I think, make you feel better if you're a Tennessee fan that, hey, this team can go on the road and win. And, and most importantly, that they they fought some adversity. Again, Kentucky, there, there was that moment at the end of the third quarter. You know, they get the third down sack of Joe Milton. They're about to punt it back to Kentucky. They're down two. Never gave up the lead. The momentum's on Kentucky's side after that touchdown drive they had before that. And and Tennessee's defense, you know, gets a stop, holds Kentucky to a long field goal try. They miss it, and Kentucky never gets another chance to to take the lead. Really, so that was uh, that was a big moment in the game, and they fought through it, bounced back, even when the crowd kind of got got really into it there, and and tried to swing the momentum, uh, or tried to build on that momentum swing that Kentucky had. So, uh, yeah, to to fight through that, that's a, it's a big step for this team, a big moment, and and for them to survive that on the road and, and get a win like this has got to be a confidence boost and one that will serve them well, I would think going to Missouri in a couple of weeks where they'll obviously face a, another big test and a team that's that's capable of beating them in, in a game that I would say is, you know, again, the Georgia game is really important and, and could be there could be a lot on the line in that one. We'll see. But um, the way I see it, the Missouri game is the most important one left on the schedule, and I thought that even before tonight. But now that you're past Kentucky, that that's a huge one, and now that you can go on the road and have, have some confidence that you can win, that, I think it's a big deal for this team. It is. There, there was, again – uh, usually when you win in a game of, of two teams that are at least somewhat evenly matched, you do more good than bad. Tennessee did more good than bad in this game. Tennessee, uh, I think, earned that win. I, I think it was not given to Tennessee. I think Tennessee earned it. Now, it made it more difficult than it needed to be at times, perhaps. Um, but you got to, you know, the other guys are on scholarship too. Those guys, um, Stoops, those guys, they have an identity, a philosophy, and they know what they're doing, you know, around these parts. And, and, not against Tennessee, but against others, you know, they've had some pretty decent success. So, you know, beating Florida three years in a row. So, I mean, they're doing some stuff that Tennessee's not doing, certainly. But anyways, there's a lot more to, to parse, but it is a silly hour of the evening, and I think we need to move on. Just a heads up, we will have a um, – we'll, we'll have some, some, some basketball stuff coming up in the next week, too. Obviously, Tennessee playing Michigan State uh, in an exhibition game on Sunday – that that's an interesting game two top 10 teams so we'll have some stuff on that at some point we'll have more football coverage throughout the week tennessee playing uconn there there's you mean uh, the basketball game that doesn't count uh yeah but you know it's two top 10 teams so i think it's at least interesting does it, does it show up in the record uh it does not 
Um, but if Tennessee loses a, a football game at Kentucky, I think a lot more people will be like, oh, I just got to watch the basketball now. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time. So we'll, we will see, um, but we will have stuff to, stuff to discuss, if I can say that correctly. We'll certainly have our regular uh, itinerary for football stuff in the next week. Tennessee needs to get some guys right next week, needs to get healthy, needs to get some guys back on their feet. I, I would maybe take Aaron Beasley and just not play him next week because he is – Clearly, he's just not having the same impact that he normally has in games, and I don't know why, uh, but he's been a little dinged up, I think. So, you know, he didn't – other than the penalty, you didn't really hear his name at all in this game, and that's very unusual. Right. So there's some stuff they need to get sorted, um, but it's much easier to do that after a win. And maybe one last chance before at least the regular season finale against Vanderbilt. Uh, we'll see if that's that type of game to maybe test some – Young and less experienced players. I walked past Nico Iamaliava after corner, the game. Corner, yeah, corner. But I, but I walked, I walked past Nico Iamaliava after the game and kind of wondered, hey, is this this coming week going to be his chance? You know, he hasn't really gotten one uh, to to play a lot yet. So this this is one of those games you certainly look at and say, um, boy, it should be good if you could find a way to get him in the game, let him throw six or eight passes and get some experience. Yes, but we'll have all that stuff to discuss. And more in the next week, but uh, for now, I think we'll have to leave it here because we got to get this thing edited and out there before the sun comes up. Uh, but regardless, guys, thanks for thanks for being here right now at this unfortunately odd hour. Thanks, Wes. Thanks, Wes. There's that button, and now I can say. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. We always say that, but we always mean it. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Ben McKee is Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. And Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And if you just want Tennessee news on Twitter, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govals 24-7. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals 24-7 where we update that through Throughout the day, all day, every day, mostly with Tennessee news, uh, but also with news that we think Falls fans will find interesting. Uh, but if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the source, go get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets for coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball. Nobody, and I mean nobody, covers Tennessee baseball the way that we do. Also, no one covers the Lady Vols that we do. The award-winning Maria Cornelius does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us all season long. You can get all of that at GoVols247.com. You've also got access there to two forums that run around the clock, got the checkerboard and the summit, where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and discuss anything you want that is not political or religious in nature with us, with thousands of Tennessee fans across the world, and with us who are on the staff. Uh, and, and no one has a more uh, active board with the, the staff members than us. We are proud to be there all the time answering any question that you've got, and you get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs, and that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is, again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial free. You get new movies. You get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, you also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family, 
all of that, all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That That is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening again. And uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be good. See you guys. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.